Welcome to the Technoskeptic Podcast. This is Art Keller. Our guest today is Catherine Burbal Singh, founder and headmistress of Michaela, an inner city charter school in the United Kingdom that has gotten a lot of attention for teaching methods that break from current orthodoxy. In Michaela, she initiated a digital detox program trying to keep smartphones out of the hands of students. This conversation in July 2023 was a follow-up to my interview with Burbal Singh in mid-2019. So we spoke about four years ago, and just to recap really quick, and this is just reading back a little bit of what you said, even if you're a good parent, I've known a lot of parents who are just struggling. They can't take the phone away. The child goes on a hunger strike. He calls social services and makes false accusations. The child refuses to come to school and locks themselves in their room. Yes. Better to have never given them a phone in the first place. Why are they so addicted? And at the time, he said, Snapchat and Instagram are the two main culprits. And I'm guessing probably since then, maybe TikTok has been added to that. Yes, definitely. (laughs) So Definitely. TikTok is number one on the list. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of want to update on your struggles and triumphs with the digital detox. How has it been going with parents and kids? Have the kids continued to push back? Have the parents gotten more supportive? Where do things stand? Yeah, I mean, I have to say quite a number of the families, at least half the families when joining the school now, will not give their children a smartphone at all. Great. So before we started all of this, I'd say everybody had a smartphone when joining. So now, because I talk to the families twice before they join, I'd say half of them listen to me and don't give a smartphone. Then over time, because they join in, in grade seven, and then over time, they start giving them phones. But I would say that at least 10, 15% make it through to grade 11 when they have their national exams. They make it through to then without a phone, right? So some families still hang on. And then I'd say between grade seven and grade 11, at some point, various families start falling. (laughs) So I'd say in year eight, you still have about 40% of them. And then, you know, over time, they they, they diminish in number. Then now the kids who have phones then use our digital detox system to put the phones in the safe, you know, maybe from Monday to Friday or for a couple of days during the week so that they can give their brains a break. So kids do make use of the system somewhat, but, you know, small numbers. I mean, I say small numbers, maybe in each year group, uh, five to ten every week, you know, might make use of it. But that's something, you know, because those kids have the opportunity to do that. Uh, I also hope that even if they're not putting the devices in there, those who have a device, because we're regularly giving assemblies about how they destroy your brain and so on, I'm hoping some of them use the, use their devices less. It is certainly the case that by the time they get to grade 11, when they have their exams at the end of that year, most of them are using, so most of grade 11 will be putting their devices in the safe for the, you know, the whole week um, and then get it back on the weekend. Some of them will give it to us for six weeks at a time and then they get it back perhaps during the holidays. So, yeah, I mean, overall, I I think we're doing something. You know, I'd say elsewhere, you know, you don't have any sense of kids not having phones. The best you can hope for normally at a school is that they don't allow phones in the school. Well, we obviously go much further than that in insisting that they not have the phones at home as well. 
At the time you made a distinction when we're talking about phones, and just to clarify, you you urged parents not to get them a phone, but if they were going to get them a phone, just get them what you called a brick phone, which you were subsidizing. So when you talk about the people having phones, and now I'm assuming you're talking just about smartphones because that's where the trouble lies. Yes. So we sell brick phones at a loss. We buy them for, what is it now, uh, 16 pounds, I think, and then we sell them at 12 pounds. So we actually make a loss. And that's because we know that parents want to call their kids, they want to text their kids. So you still have the convenience of a phone without allowing them access to the internet, which is unsupervised. Well, that's inflation for you because when you told me that before, it was it cost cost you fourteen pounds, and you were selling them for ten. <laughs> right there, you go. So cost of living was going up. <laughs> yes. Four-ish years ago, you said in 25 years, people are going to be writing that smartphones are a disaster. And I predicted it would take less than five. And, and thankfully, that prediction is right. And John Haidt is now talking about this. And I was surprised he didn't know about your work. So hopefully he's going to be in touch. He's working on a book on this. And uh, he's got a, a substack called After Babel, yes. where he was proposing a smartphone-free classroom, and I just thought to myself, well, that's several years after you had done it, and so he should talk to you. Mm-hmm. He wants experience of people who have tried this, so hopefully you will feature in there somewhere, but he also has a colleague, Jean Twenge, yes, who's been looking about how it's been affecting people over generations, and it's, it's generally bad. <laughs> it's not a heading in a positive direction. The more technology, the more smartphones in particular you have in your life, the worse mental health in general has been getting. Yes. Which is kind of shocking. Yes, indeed. Back then you were, though, as you, as you said, kind of a, a voice crying in the wilderness. But I know a lot of people visit Michaela. Has there been any broader interest in digital detox from other educators or from uh, anywhere in the world or other schools in the U.K.? Uh, people always ask about it, <laughs> whether or not they do it. You know, I mean, a few do it and tell me. I don't know. I mean, obviously, I don't hear from everybody, but everybody's always very interested to hear about it. Definitely. The reason I'm asking specifically is you said, yeah, they, they were kind of interested, but it didn't sound like people were digging into the details of how you were executing it in a way that suggested they really want to do this at their school as well. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. So they ask generally, like sort of how you've just asked. Okay. They don't, it's true. They're not asking specifically for details. I suppose, you know, if they had those specific details, then they would be more likely to succeed at doing it in their own schools. Sometimes they do ask for the specific details though. They do. I don't know whether or not they manage it though. I think that, I tell you what it is. I don't, I don't, I, I don't think it's, bad faith on anyone. I think that there are so many other bigger fights to fight in their schools mm-hmm. that digital detox seems like a detail. Like they're trying to stop, I don't know, kids fighting in the corridors and nobody's doing their homework and kids are insulting each other. And, you know, they, 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 <laughs> there's so many other issues in schools that whether or not they have a phone at home is, is not their biggest concern. The reason why we've been able to go there and be successful at it is, of course, because we have really, really excellent behavior in the classroom. So my time and the time of senior team and so on isn't taken up dealing with incident after incident that's happening on site. And often our incidents are happening online. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we then 
you know, I mean, everybody always agrees with me. So whenever I say this to any set of teachers who visit and they're just there, we get 800 guests a year and most of those are teachers. They all say, yep, it definitely starts online. So all of us are in agreement. All the incidents start online. It's just that because we don't really have any incidents happening inside school, <laughs> um, we have the time to be able to deal with the incident when it happens online. Whereas they're sort of chasing their tails in a way and, and are, are in the schools just trying to deal with the incidents that are happening on site every day. So that getting to the online issues is, is, is much more difficult. That, that's my guess. That sounds dead on. And this is just my guess because I've been following this and see if you think you agree with this. They think I've got all these other things to deal with, the fighting. And what people aren't realizing is every other problem, this is like fertilizer that makes the evil in them worse. <laughs> yes, that's right. So it's like you, you don't realize uh, the fragmented attention that makes people more impulsive. That's right. And more seeking new dopamine hits. All the online beefs, all everything. It's not that if smartphones disappeared, every problem would go away. But would it reduce all the others by 10%, by 20%? I, I don't know. But that's kind of my intuition. What do you think about that? Yeah, definitely. So that's why we spend our time on it. The thing about Michaela is because we deal with many of the bigger issues, you can then hone in on the smaller, more subtle issues and really look at those in detail and see whether or not they do have impact on kids, like phones or phones at home or, uh, I don't know, their, their route to work or to, to school. Like tiny details we can look at. Now, but when you're in a normal school, when there's so much kind of happening in terms of difficult behavior and kids not paying attention in lessons and homework not being set properly and lack of consistency and there's so much other stuff, mm -hmm. the kids misbehave. You don't really know why they're misbehaving. They're just sort of misbehaving and you don't, you know, and nobody has, you don't have the specificity. You don't have the, the lens that can, can hone in on that tiny detail. Whereas with us, we're able to do that because the big ticket items aren't happening. <laughs> mm -hmm. So we can notice, look at those girls over there. They're looking a bit sullen today. What's going on? I bet you it was something on social media. Let's go find out. We're going to talk to one of them. Yeah, miss, you know, so-and-so called me such-and-such yesterday online. Oh, I see. Right. Now, in a normal school, there would have been various fights going on in the yard at the time. So you wouldn't have noticed that a group of girls were a bit sullen for some reason because you've got so many other things taking up your time in the moment. Do you, do you see what I mean? Oh, definitely. I mean, I'm, your, your name or your nickname is uh, named after my sister's favorite movie, To Sir With Love. And all the students in that, clearly they were misbehaving without any smartphones contributing to it. Yes. So I get to what you're saying, and, and also, perhaps other teachers are looking at it, it's like, uh, I don't know if you've ever gone white water rafting, but you're trying to keep your raft off of rocks, because hitting the rocks is not the great thing. That's it. So when you're, when you're doing that, you're feeling like, I, I just got to avoid that next rock. Yeah. And they never think, um, <clears throat> what would it do to be like, not be on a bumpy river, but put this river on still, or put this uh, raft on still water? Yes. Uh, if that metaphor even makes any sense. Yes. Have you asked parents, and this may be too big of a thing, or they may not have the attention themselves to do it, to say, hey, okay, when you give your kids their smartphones, I would like you to observe their behavior and see how it changes. <laughs>
Oh, well, so I have loads of... I have parents who... Um, I mean, I've recorded them even. I've got parents who don't listen. They give their par- kid a smartphone. The kid starts spinning out of control in various ways. They then listen to us and they take the smartphone away. And, I mean, I've got parents who break down in tears, who say, I finally got my boy back. Uh-huh. He, he, his personality has returned to what it used to be. He used to be this lovely, sweet little boy, and, and then he turned into this monster, and now he's back to being a little sweet boy. Or my, my, my little girl. I've, they kept they the phrase, I've got my child back, I've heard many times, where the parent has given the phone, and then they have the strength to take the phone away, and the child goes back to what they used to be, which is young and sweet and innocent and well-behaved and a little bit naive and childlike. You know, that, that's, what, that's what's always described. And that the smartphone rids them of their childhood. Now, of course, I mean, I've just got this anecdotally from parents who I've seen this happen to. I've also noticed, because again, we're like a Petri dish. Uh You can see the detail here. I see, and again, it's only anecdotally, kids without smartphones tend to rise in terms of the set. So there are four sets in any year, top set, second set, third set, fourth set. And I've watched kids move from fourth set to top set and whenever they do that, they never have a phone. It's always kids without a phone. And kids with phones, I've watched them drop from first set, maybe not down to fourth set, but they might go to second set, maybe to the third set. Over time, this is over years, I've watched how their academic ability is affected by either having the phone or not having the phone, and they go up and down accordingly. And it never happens the other way around. It's never the case that some kid makes some meteoric rise through the sets, and he's also got a phone. No way. Never happens. Or it's never the case that a kid starts tumbling down and they, they don't have a phone. That never happens. It's always, it, it always matches. Now, of course, I just have these anecdotes. And, of course, when I say it, people then say to me, I'm making this stuff up. And so I'm like, you know what? Okay, fine. You don't want to believe me? Don't believe me. But for those parents who actually uh, uh, you know, have an interest in this sort of stuff and have an interest in their children, my suggestion is listen. You know, Because I see it. I see it every day. And I can tell people about it and try and get them to understand. You know, the thing I'm fighting is that the smartphone and the iPad, they make great babysitters. Mm-hmm. And parents use them because they're busy. They're cooking dinner. They've got a friend they want to talk to. They've got work to get on with. Um, they've got a million things. They've got five kids, you know. And so it's much easier when you give them a smartphone. The kid is just quiet and just gets on the stuff, you know. Yeah. Much harder to say, pick up the violin, you need to do some practice, come on, let's play a, a, a game of chess or Monopoly, oh, let's sing a song together, uh, let's do a, you know, a wordle together. You know, you, it's very hard, especially if you have more than one child. But, you know, the, the trick is try and get kids, you know, brothers and sisters doing those sorts of things together. You've got to have an atmosphere in the house where, you know, screen time is simply unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And then... It has to be unacceptable. You can, there's no middle ground. Yes. Right? Now, the only time free uh, screen time can be acceptable is that, okay, so you will do Wordle together. Fine. So you take out your phone or your, your laptop and you do a Wordle together. Fine. Um, you might play chess online. Fine. You might have a maths um, app that you want to use and you do it for 10 minutes with one kid, do it for 10 minutes with another kid and so on. The thing is, is that it is sort of like a full-time job when you're with your child where, or your children where you're, you really are need to be very hands-on. Because if you're not hands-on, well, then you're just going to go for the phone option. And look, I mean, as I've said before, 
you know, you're breaking your child's brain. There's loads of studies. Gene, tw- how do you how do you say her last name? You said twin twin. I believe it's Twenge. Twenge. Thanks for listening to the Techno Skeptic podcast. If you like what you hear, please share or subscribe at technoskeptic.substack.com. We've got a lot of great content looking at the impact of technology on society. We cover a wide range of issues like privacy, economics, cognition, synthetic biology, artificial intelligence, and a whole lot more. If you have comments or want to contribute an article to the Technoskeptic, email us at technoskeptic at substack.com. And now, back to the show. Twenge, right. Twenge, I've read her books. I've, I, I, they're in our staff, staff library. The teachers read her books. We, um, I've sent around videos of her being interviewed and so on. She, you know, she's great. And uh, Height, you know, Jonathan Height, same thing. You know, I've sent around stuff of his to staff. So staff are already on board. We get it. But there's so much, there isn't that, there's the two of them, but there isn't enough out there to persuade families just yet. I say that. I mean, I am managing to persuade families, you know. They do listen to me. Yes. It's just that what happens is that when it gets hard, and their kid keeps badgering them. I don't want to miss out. My friends are all online. I want, I, I want a smartphone for Christmas. And the family feels, oh, you know, I feel bad. And mom then gives them the smartphone. Problem is, once you give them the smartphone, very difficult to take it off them. But you've got to hold the line. You know, you've got to. Because otherwise, well, the kids are going to walk all over you. Yeah. They just are. And, and then in the end, you end up with a kid who has exam results that aren't as good as they could have been otherwise, you know? You end up with a kid who could have mental health problems, anxiety, depression, meeting all kinds of horrible people online, gang members, pedophiles. Everybody out there knows where your kid lives, knows their route to school, knows what school they go to, knows all their friends, knows what they like doing. Is that really what you want? You want to give the whole world access to your child like that? People don't realize your daughter is upstairs in her bedroom in the evening texting some 25-year-old guy. She's 13. Yeah. The guy might as well be in the bedroom with her, you know, like people don't realize what kids are doing online. And then they all say, my child would never do that. Mm-hmm. Every parent I have these conversations with where they're in tears saying, oh, my goodness, my child. And I say to them, I did warn you. And they say, but my child would never do that. And I said, well, obviously your child would, because here you go. Their child is doing it right now. These are kids who could go to Oxford and Cambridge and do this, you know. So don't think to yourself, just because my child is clever and well behaved, they're not going to do this. Mm-hmm. In fact, they're often the worst ones. Because they're, they're a bit shy. They don't know how to be social, you know, uh, in, in person. So online, it becomes a lot easier. And then some shy boy or shy girl who's a bit pimply and awkward, and they're online. And some other kid out there who's a bit older than them takes an interest in them. Suddenly, they're looking up. Oh, he likes me. Oh, that's nice. And, and they are very vulnerable. I don't think parents realize just how vulnerable their children are. And they don't realize how dangerous the online world is. You know, how awful it is. There are predators out there looking for your children. Yeah. Look, I see this happen all of the time. There are the families who listen to me, then there are the families who don't listen to me. I can think about a 12-year-old girl in our school who had a pedophile, 27-year-old man, showing himself videos coming in and out of the shower, which he would show to this girl. Mother had no idea because it's on her smartphone. This kind of thing, I mean, I got dozens of stories. You know, I got so many stories. just so many. I got, I, got, I got so many. And this is just nine. 
I would like to do a, a whole separate interview on that, on just, just the horror stories, because in some ways, those drive the point home in a way of just generally saying, you don't have any idea how dangerous these things are. Yeah. Uh, does, because when you hear concrete examples, it's like, well, this happened, then this happened, then this happened. And, and yeah, the, it's the people learn through stories. That's it. Well, let me tell you a few. Kids have no idea what they're doing. You, you find out that your daughter is selling nude photographs of herself for one pound each to the boys in her class or just random boys online. Oh, boy. Or you've got boys who are involved with gang members. And, of course, they then get so involved that they then make videos that are insulting gang members from across the line, you know, down south London. Uh-huh. And then the south London gang come up to north London to try and knife your boy, you know, and kill him because he said something insulting. And you think, how has this all happened? I didn't even know he knew any gang members. Well, you didn't know because he's on his smartphone. But honestly, and then, so the more middle-class parents listening think, oh, but my child would never do that because they would never get involved in gangs. You would be very surprised at the number (laughs) of things that middle-class kids can get involved in. Anything from getting involved with people who are really into plastic surgery to drugs to, I mean, like, honestly, like, they just don't know how dangerous the online world is and all the people that are sat there waiting for your child to, to, to be found. And then there's kids who are murdered. Obviously, I haven't had any murdered children, thank goodness. But there are mothers out there campaigning, trying to get parents to listen to them because their own child was murdered because they, as mothers, allowed them online unsupervised and didn't realize And what happens when your child gets groomed over months. Mm-hmm. You don't realize it. And then one day your child lies to you and says, I'm just popping out to see my friend, da-dee-da, and off they go. But in fact, they're going off to see the groomer. They don't realize that they've been groomed. Obviously, they think this person is genuinely their friend, and then they get murdered. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's bad. It's really, really bad. Breaking their brains and making them more stupid is the least of your problems in many ways. Yes. But it is obviously a big problem. Those kids are not going to be as clever as they could have been. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's 100% in line with the person I mentioned. Last time we spoke, uh, Cal Newport wrote a book called Deep Work, which basically said the people who are going to have the competitive advantages is the people who can get away from distraction. Exactly. That's exactly in line with what you said about people rising or falling in their own uh, year level based on whether or not they're using a phone. What was the book? It's called Deep Work. Okay, great. And so I will send you my podcast with him so you can give it a quick listen and decide whether it's worth your time. I suspect it will be because it completely 100% matches with what you just said. He marshals a lot of the science in in an easy to understand way. Well, and isn't that funny? The other thing I would just add to that is, you know, that science, I haven't read, I don't even know who you're talking about. But isn't it interesting that this scientist guy, that everything he says matches with what I say? Yeah. So I'm not lying. Yeah, yeah, no. You know, like... (laughs) What I see is, has been proved by the science, you know? I'm just talking about what I see every day. That's why I'm talking to you, Catherine. You're a prophet. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to spend the last couple of minutes. At the time we last spoke, you'd finally had a full batch of students go all the way from beginning to end at Michaela, and they were just taking their GCSEs. Yes. 
Shortly after that, I'd followed you on Twitter, and, you know, I think to the dismay of your critics, um, your students did great. So I just want to get on record for the readers. Tell me a little bit about uh, Michaela's results on that national test in the UK, measuring student achievement levels or student academic uh, levels versus the average. Yeah, so last year, so the way they judge schools in this country is the amount of progress they've made. Mm Mm-hmm from year seven, grade seven, through to grade 11, which is when they take those national exams, which are called GCSEs. And so these are national exams in all subjects. It's not just English and math, but it's also history and geography and science and a language and so on. Anyway, they measure your progress that, you, that the kid has made uh-huh. in those five years to then make a judgment on the school. And they look at the average of the cohort and they give you what's called a progress eight score. And last year, we got the highest progress eight score in the country. It gives you some sense. We're obviously doing pretty well. I would say. Yeah, we do really well. This is an inner city intake with a typical inner city group of kids. And we're doing really well with them. And I would say that actually the results that we get are nothing in comparison to the kinds of people that they become. You know, they're they're decent, kind, hardworking kids. And that's what they become at the school. So I'm really, I'm more proud of that than I am of the results. But we do do very well with them. And that's why we get 800 visitors a year. And your audience is welcome to come. All you need to do is sign up on the website and come over to London. And you come and you'll you'll have lunch with the kids. You'll be able to have a tour with the kids. And you'll see what it is people are talking about. It is a really special school. One of the things that makes it special is the fact that the kids certainly don't have phones when they're in the school. But lots of them don't have phones outside of the school. And there is an understanding, even with the ones who have phones, that it is a damaging item and that they should keep it to a minimum. If you've done nothing else just in conveying that to them, that they need to treat it essentially like a loaded gun. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Then that is, I think that's an invaluable tip. Um, One of the other things I've seen, and I just wanted to follow up from kind of my personal curiosity, because I've followed you on Twitter, we've exchanged a few personal messages, and what I see there is you're regularly attacked by people who can't seem to stand that, you know, holding kids to standards and expecting them to perform, and then they perform. And then, of course, also, you know, digital detox plays a part. You have the numbers 100% behind you. you. You would think, well, you can't argue with success, but clearly they can because I see you getting attacked. What is your sense of why they're attacking you? I mean, perhaps envy, but I can't, it can't, it can't all be envy. What do you think is motivating? Well, I do think it's not so much envy. It's that I, I, we show them up, you know? Mm-hmm. They want the narrative to be poor kids, black kids, disadvantaged kids cannot achieve. So when we prove that they can achieve, if only you change some of your approaches, then it undermines their point, which is that these kids can't achieve and they certainly can't achieve unless we pump a whole load more money into the system. Ah. Now we're doing it with less money than many schools and in a terrible building without any trees, without any fields, without any sports hole. You know, we do it on a on a very reduced situation. You know, this is not, our building is really quite dreadful. We're right next to the trains. We're on seven floors instead of on two floors that you would normally have in a, in a school building. Uh, the, the corridors are really narrow. It wasn't meant to be a school. So the fact that we are succeeding is very annoying for them because it disproves many of their claims. That, 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 so that is a real problem for them. 
Now it, it makes a little bit more sense and it clicks with another fact that I've heard. It's about the economics. If you're saying more money, more money, and you prove it can be done with less, then you invalidate their claims that it's the money, it's the problem. It's not the atmosphere and the expectations. Yes. Atmosphere and expectations, they don't really cost any money. Yes. They just take a certain learning style. But the other stat I heard that clicks in with that, um, I heard it several years ago. Catholic schools like the one I attended, parochial schools, are similar to Michaela in that they have high expectations. Mm-hmm. And homework is issued and you are expected to do it. And they will be talking to your parents if you don't do it. And things like that, you know, very similar. But also... I want to say it was New York City. There, Someone was looking at the New York City schools, public school system versus the Catholic school system. Mm-hmm. And the head office of the public school system had 1,500 people administering it. And the head office of the Catholic school system had three. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you need a lot more money to support 1,500 salaries. <laughs> yes, exactly. You're essentially undermining their bloated model. And naturally, they're attacking you because your results are proving it doesn't have to be that way. And no one likes to think that they're investing a lot of money, time, and effort into something that doesn't work. Yeah. So now it all makes sense to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think it's conscious, of course. Yeah, they don't. I don't think they sit there and go, she's just proving us. We have to we have to discredit her. No. But... They don't like it. They, it makes them angry. I mean, they don't really know why. Mm-hmm. Um, and they get very annoyed about it. That's human nature, you know. Yes. I, I, not everybody's like that, though. We get 800 visitors a year, most of those teachers coming to find out what they can implement into their schools. So good for them, you know. Yeah. Well, you're 100% right. I'm a psychology nerd. Unconscious motivations, the way it usually works is we feel a way and then our brain does the work of creating a reason to justify why we feel something. (laughs) Yes. And that seems like that's operative when you're making people feel bad by showing their work is not working well. Then they have to attack you personally as being what I've seen online is too conservative or too this or too that as if being a little bit conservative in and of itself is some sort of character flaw. Yeah, well, that's what they think. Whatever. So that, that, they especially hate that because I go on about small C conservative values. Right. And I say that's why the school succeeds. So then they're saying, what? How dare you say that conservatism is needed for children to succeed? And I think it's pretty obvious that you need small C conservative values like personal responsibility, a sense of duty towards others, an idea of self-sacrifice, putting others before yourself, uh, working hard, taking responsibility, you know, for the things that go wrong. Personal agency. The idea of agency, the idea of praise and punishment, you know, all of these ideas. These are small C conservative values. The idea that children are not born good, but will have to work to become good. We need to teach all of us are like that, you know. It's easier to eat chocolate than it is to eat broccoli, you know. Easier to sit on the sofa than it is to go to the gym. Uh, But honestly, people don't want to accept those very basic truths, I would say, that if you don't get that stuff, it's very hard to succeed with children. Yes. Well, I I really appreciate you your time. All right. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for having me. One last thing before we go. I'd like to ask listeners to please go to whatever podcast app you use and put a review there for the Technoskeptic Magazine podcast. When the Technoskeptic switched from WordPress to Substack, our podcast feed also changed, so all our previous reviews went away. 
We'd really appreciate it if you help us catch back up to where we were and leave us a nice review. Thanks.